Gets in the zone. Back it goes for Barkov. Over for a shot and he scores! Frank Vetrano sends him home with the overtime winner. 5-4 Florida. Welcome to Project Panthers, a weekly podcast discussing your Florida Panthers. Now, here's your host, Brunswick. Thank you and welcome to Project Panthers. I am your host, Brunswick. Uh, Thank you for joining me on the first episode of Project Panthers. You can follow us at Proj Panthers on Twitter. That's P-R-O-J Panthers. On Instagram at Project Panthers Pod. And on YouTube and SoundCloud at Project Panthers, which will be the main place to listen to these episodes for the first little while at least. My main goal with this podcast is to provide Panthers fans, fans of the NHL team, the Florida Panthers, a place to open up some discourse, you know, hear some different opinions, and uh, just chat about the team. I feel like there's not enough places for this for fans of this team to to really just talk and open up and and you know share in our many joys and even more frustrations with the uh, with the franchise over the years. So. A little bit of background on myself. My name is actually Alex, but Brunswick is a nickname I've gone by since my mid-teens. I was born out east in Canada in New Brunswick. Yes, that's where the nickname stems from. And I grew up loving the sport of hockey. My first team as a young kid was actually the Montreal Canadiens, so don't chastise me for it. But when the Panthers came along in 93, six-year-old me clung on to something, something cool like a logo, which was what the Panthers had. Three years later, I fell in love with the team when they had this historic run to the Stanley Cup Finals in front of the entire hockey world. The team was infectious, and that hype for a South Florida team made its way up to the Great White North, and I was hooked. That team of Melanby, Jovanovski, Van Biesbrick, and company were the definition of an underdog story, so of course I became a fan for life. Little did I and the rest of us know that we're, those were actually the glory days of the franchise. 25 years later, and they still haven't won an NHL playoff series since. But I'm still here, just like you, and I continue to hope, just like you, that all this devotion will one day be rewarded with that sweet, sweet taste of success once again. Over the years, I've expanded my love of hockey into my career. Here in Canada, I've worked over a decade at the two largest sports broadcast stations in the country both sports and TSN. I've worked in radio and television, and with that, entrenching myself within hockey deeper than I ever could have dreamt of as a kid. But enough about me. This is an exciting season. I think the, the, the turnover and the, the changes in, in management and roster, I think, are, are all positives. I think what happened this offseason with, with the team having accountability issues and character issues I think addressing those with new new, uh, general manager Bill Zito that was the right move a lot of us as fans saw the writing on the wall and and it was good to see the franchise echo those sentiments online because you know we are crazy fans so we can be crazy at times but I think at the end of the day they did a great job in in, in trying to curb where the uh, where the team's current roster was headed yeah, so I guess the NHL during a pandemic, uh, the Florida Panthers are seeing it firsthand in their first week of the season. Actually, first two weeks of the season now. It's only been one week for them because uh, their first two games against Dallas were canceled because of COVID issues. And their uh, current two games are postponed due to COVID issues. So they'll be playing those games at a later date. Uh, we don't have any confirmation as to when that is, but we know that they will be playing those games 
just not yet. It's it's a weird time in the NHL right now, though, because uh, as of this recording, some teams have played five, six games, and Florida has only played two. The Dallas Stars just played their first game last night. So, I mean, it could technically be worse for, for the Panthers, but all things considered, I think everyone just wants to make sure that everybody's safe and proper protocols are followed. So, at the end of the day, a lot of us, I mean, all of us, I'm sure, are just very grateful that sports are back and, and these guys are willing to to put themselves on the line in a way to, to provide us with entertainment and, and and some, you know, disconnect from the uh, the world around us at this current stage. But uh, this is Project Panthers. Thanks for joining me. I am Brunswick. Uh, so to start the season off, the Panthers faced the Blackhawks in a two-game series. As I mentioned before, it was originally supposed to be the Dallas Stars. But with those games postponed, their first matchup was on the 17th of January against the Blackhawks. And this was pretty exciting. You know, it's over the years, it's been the start of the season is always somewhat of an exciting time, I think, for any any fan of any NHL team. Um, with the Panthers and, you know, their lack of, let's call it, consistent success has led to hopeful beginnings to the seasons more often than not and this one was you know with curbed expectations there was some hope here and in the first game of the season I wasn't necessarily looking for chemistry and incredible plays and strategies that have been implemented and executed perfectly I really wanted to see a change in effort and attitude from the team last year against the Islanders in the uh, quote-unquote playoffs I will say the team struggled with consistency, effort, and just the will to win. They looked disinterested throughout that entire series and sort of like they knew that they didn't match up very well with the Islanders and it wasn't really there wasn't really a point to put your best foot forward because they weren't going to have a chance anyways. And, you know, I don't want to be accusatory, but it sure seemed that way. Uh, and all the rumblings that have come out of the front office and, and then some afterwards seem to indicate that we were on the right path with that. But I really wanted to see some effort from this team. I wanted to see some hard skating. I wanted to see some pressure offensively. I wanted to see that never give up attitude, that just that drive to just keep going. You know, a lot of times in the NHL, if you're less talented or you're less skilled than the other teams, effort will put you over that that hump. It'll get you over that little barrier that that separates good teams from great teams. Um Effort is important. It is all about how hard you play out there. And when you play hard, you become hard to play against. And that is a philosophy that has worked in the NHL forever, for through all the generations. Through, I mean, back when you couldn't pass the puck forward, I'm sure effort was king, right? It's, it's, it's all about how you put your foot forward. And uh, with this team, I wanted to see their best foot forward. And honestly, I can say I saw that. In game one, I saw them really pressuring the offense. I saw a forecheck like I haven't seen in a Panthers uniform in a very long time. Um, Chicago is not the best roster in the NHL. They are through a bit of a rebuilding phase and a, and a restructuring, let's call it nowadays, in, the, in 2021. Um, and they, they're, not, they're not set up for a ton of success this season. So... 
you can only measure yourself against the best. And Chicago, on paper, is unfortunately not the best. But, you know, it's it's early in the NHL season. Training camp was only a week long. So I think that most teams are on somewhat similar levels just because of lack of preparation and traditional circumstances. Considering all the new bodies that came into the roster, the 9 of 12, or sorry, four of six new forwards in the top six and the bottom six being sprinkled with new bodies as well. Uh, I think they did a really good job on just focusing on effort and pressure and and sustained pressure. Uh, there was many times in game one where the Blackhawks were panicked and rushed into a decision that they obviously did not want to make and it led to a lot of quality scoring chances and you know, it's it's what we've been preaching for a long time as 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 longtime f- watchers and fans of the Panthers is is effort will put you over the hump. Like I said earlier, uh, I think overall though that's that's what I wanted to see and that's what I saw from the team. They played a really strong game. Huberto was a bit rusty. He he obviously he's a bit of a slow starter. Even though you know, <laughs> I laugh when I say that, and the guy still had three points, uh, scored a goal, and got a couple of assists. So. No, he he looked like he was still kind of catching his bearings, playing with the puck, like or losing the puck a little bit. A couple of off passes. I mean, Huberto is one of the best left wingers in the game today. Uh, there's an argument for him being a top three left winger, um, and honestly, even an argument for him being one of the one of the, if not the best left winger in the NHL right now. So, this is not a criticism of the guy at all. He he played a uh, he his effort was there. You know he's. He's so, quote unquote squeezing the stick too hard, maybe or something. But uh, three points on the night. He's he's off to a great start offensively, and in terms of adjusting to his new line mates, Wenberg and Hornquist, that will come. The guy is so skilled and just so talented on the ice that he makes all the players around him better. And I think his new line mates really suit his style really well. A guy like Hornquist is a is a bruising body that creates space for a playmaker like Huberto. So I. I I can't emphasize how much emphasize how much of a of a great change that is for for a guy like Huberto. I was really impressed by uh, Alexander Barkov and Carter Verhage, new Panther Carter Verhage coming over from Tampa, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Verhage just honestly, he looks like a star out there. I don't know how else to put it. He seems to have that it factor that they always talk about. He was all over the ice, buzzing around the net in every puck battle. It seemed like he was very very noticeable. And Barkov himself was, I mean, it's Alexander Barkov, one of the top two-way centers in the league. And he looks like he's taken another level this year. He, I know he was in Finland working on his shot with uh, former Winnipeg Jets winger Patrick Laine in the offseason. And, I mean, by all means, he's not a shoot-first guy. But the shots that he has been taking, they are wicked wristers. So very impressed and very excited to see what he brings to the table this season. Uh, new addition, Alexander Wenberg. He came over from the uh, Blue Jackets, signed a one-year deal after being bought out by the Jackets, sort of as a redemption contract to try and get his career back on on uh, solid ground after a couple of uh, tumultuous years in Columbus. And I think he did a great job. I think he, you know, offensively, he's he struggled in previous seasons, and I can see where that those struggles lie. But defensively, he was extremely solid solid back checking skated hard 
uh, is like I said is earlier is he's a great pairing for a guy like Huberdo who benefits from from being able to be a little bit more free on the ice and having a a responsible player like Wenberg on his line knowing that Huberdo can cheat a little bit deeper to the offensive zone without worrying is is always a benefit to a player who's offense first like that. I mean, Patrick Hornquist, how can you not just gush over this guy? Uh, he came over to the Panthers from the Penguins. Panthers traded Mike Matheson and Colton Sevier to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Patrick Hornquist in the offseason. There was a lot of drama and, uh, let's say, discussion around uh, Mike Matheson throughout last season and the playoffs. A lot of people put a lot of blame on him and made him a bit of a scapegoat all things considered, he was sort of the punching bag for last season along with uh, Mr. Keith Yandel, but we'll get to that later. This trade, I mean, you know, we're two games into the season, but this is a phenomenal trade for this franchise. Uh, Patrick Hornquist is a player that this team has needed for, you could say, decades at this point. It has been a long time since the Panthers have had a true feisty pest that actually is willing to go into the corners shatters a lot on the ice and does all the dirty work to get the goals a guy like that is so essential to have on your team especially a team like the Panthers who going into this season were struggling with accountability were struggling with their their effort on a game-to-game basis and you see a professional like Patrick Hornquist on the ice you see this guy giving it his all even at his age now you know he's, he's in the tail end of his career and even at this age he He's a consummate professional who is obviously there to win and win at all costs. As a as a, te- a fellow team member, as a as a colleague of his, how do you watch what he does on a day-to-day basis and not want to emulate it and not feel invigorated and inspired to take your game or your effort or your training or whatever it is to the next level? I think this guy's attitude and and everything that he brings is infectious. I think everything that he brings to the table is infectious. And I don't play for an NHL team, but everything I've ever heard about this guy in the locker room is that he's a great guy to have. He is the guy you want on your team behind your back going to quote-unquote war. In game one, he was constantly mixing it up. He's he's just all over the ice, just very visible, very physical, front of the net, constantly in front of the net, waiting for that pass, bumping and bruising with big defensemen. Blackhawks have Zadorov on there. He's about 6'7 or 6'8. Hornquist is on the shorter side of the NHL, and he did not shy away from mucking it up in there with him. So that was was great to see. I think he's he's just going to be more and more beloved in a Panthers sweater. Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, Anthony, the other new addition, the other big marquee addition that came a little bit later for the Panthers uh, before training camp started was Anthony Duclair. Overall, his he had a pretty solid first game. I think he he wasn't as visible as Carter Verhage uh, on Barkov's line, but that's not necessarily a knock on Duclair and more of a of a boost of, of Verhage because he was just so so visible. Uh Duclair is is speedy. He's he's really fast. He's got decent hands, but they seem to struggle to keep up with his feet. <laughs> that's okay though. I think he he has a pretty decent mind offensively. He seems to flow well with with Barkov and uh, Verhage. I'm interested to see what he can bring. It's a contract year for him. He signed only a one-year deal with the Panthers in the offseason. So after a big season in Ottawa, scoring 23 goals, even though he only scored 
two goals in his last 26 games last season. That's quite a cold stretch uh, for the all for last year's All Star. But he he'll he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder to to prove that he that wasn't a fluke last year, and he's he's a successful or he can be a contributing NHLer on the regular. I'm excited to see what he can bring. I think the sky's the limit for him on a team or on a line like Barkov and Verhage's. I think the team, I, I will see how he fits into the equation going forward. But I think there is some potential there for for Duclair if if you can put it all together and stay on course. Uh, I am excited to see what he can do in, in the Panthers sweater, though. Owen Tippett, too, a guy who's been talked about for a very long time. He's He's been protected, some say, uh in uh, juniors and, and the AHL over the last couple of the seasons. His, his knock was his defensive game. Offense has never been a criticism of his, for him. He's got an incredible shot, really dynamic on the offense, really good hands, moves his feet. Uh, he's a very untraditional skater in the sense that he will maneuver in a lot of different ways just to get open or to get a little bit of extra space on the ice, which I love to see. There's not a lot of players like that in the NHL. Uh, who can perform at that or can execute that sort of thing at that level. His shot is incredible. I think he's poised for success in this league for a very long time. He has the makings of a star player. Whether or not he can put it together is is a whole other story. The NHL is a very, very different monster than any other league in the world. But I think with with his skill, I think he's, he's been treated really well by the organization They've eased him into this process, and now this is his shot. He looked really excited to be out there. I think maybe even a little bit too excited. There was a lot of times where he was overskating the puck a little bit or overhandling it, missing a pass a bit, and I don't, I don't see that as being a knock on him. I, it seemed like he was very excited and just, uh, you know, the blood was flowing a little too, little, little too much blood rush. Uh, for his first NHL game, or first game back, not his first NHL game. Itu Luostarinen is, what a surprise this guy is. He came over from the Carolina Hurricanes uh, in the Vinny Trocek trade. Wasn't necessarily the key piece when the transaction happened. A lot of the NHL, a lot of fans and and writers and, and viewers of the NHL criticized the Panthers for essentially giving away Vincent Trocek, but... Panthers fans know that Trocek struggled a lot after his leg injury and wasn't the same player that he used to be. So it was agreed upon by everyone, it seems, that the the two parties needed a mutual change. The Panthers needed to move on from Trocek, and Trocek needed to move on from the Panthers. So the Panthers got Itulo Staren in, in this trade for Trocek, along with uh, Piski and the now-gone Eric Halla. Oh, and Lucas Walmark, who was actually playing for the Blackhawks in this game. But uh, those two have moved on to free agency, so now it's just Pisky and Luo Sterinen. And Luo Sterinen picked up a goal and an assist in his first game. He looked really solid out there. He looked like a comfortable NHLer who's not in his first game, but in his second or third season, he was comfortable with the puck. He skated well. Uh He's a tall kid, a tall, lanky kid. Sort of looks like Nick Bukestad, and the number twenty-seven on his back doesn't help that. Uh, <laughs> doesn't help that cause. But uh, I'm I'm excited to see what this kid can bring. He's uh, 
still very young. He's got a long ways to grow, but you know the the little spark, that little that little something was there. We heard a lot about him through camp. Joel Quenville was singing his praises, and in the in the scrimmage games between the teams between the team, he he was visible. He was very noticeable, and that continued into this game. So that's a real big positive. Uh, as of right now, he currently stands as the best piece of that Trocheck trade. And, you know, there were some rumblings about it when it happened that he was going to be beloved by the team, but he wasn't that known. I mean, we don't, not a lot of people have exposure to AHL coverage and even less have, uh, here in North America at least, have exposure to coverage of Finnish hockey. So we will be watching him closely as the season progresses. Uh, with the, you know, with the, Bottom guys, Achari was very solid. I mean, struggling a bit in the face-off circle, but playing the body and and doing what Achari does. Hoping to see a bit more from him after than we saw in the first game. But again, I'm trying not to be too critical of anyone. All things considered, pandemic, lack of training camp, everything. It's I would feel awful being overly critical of someone. Uh at this stage of the game, this early in the season. <laughs> One of the big stories going into this game and this season for the Panthers was that of Iron Man Keith Yandel. Yandel was, as mentioned earlier, a bit of a scapegoat along with Mike Matheson last season. He did not play his best defensive hockey as a Panther last season. A lot of times he was making lackluster plays. The effort wasn't there. It looked like he would not take a hit to make a play, which is, in my opinion, an essential service as a defenseman in the NHL. In order to make a in order to make a play in the NHL in your own zone, if a forward is bearing in on you and forechecking, there are many times that you need to take a hit, because what that gives you is a split second longer to make a decision to either move it up the boards or pass it to your defensive partner or whatever it is that you feel fit. But that extra split second makes a huge difference. I talked about it earlier with the Panthers forechecking and pressing the Blackhawks. When you do that, it pressures the defenseman or the defensive player to make a decision quicker than they would like to. When that happens over a course of a game a few times, it will lead to more mistakes. It's just human nature. It's statistics. It's math. And all throughout last season, it looked like Keith Yandel would not put himself at risk physically for the betterment of the team. Now, I can't say this for sure. I'm not in Keith Yandel's mind. No one can really say what his intent was. Maybe he lost interest in the game. Maybe he saw what the Panthers were as a team and didn't think to try more. Do I support that attitude? No. But everyone's human, so it is what it is. The Iron Man streak is where this discussion becomes interesting because... If Keith Yandel is trying to preserve his Ironman streak, and that is why he's not willing to take the body and suffer some punishment physically to make the right play defensively, is this now a case of him putting himself first ahead of the team? Again, I cannot say for certain what Yandel's intentions are. No one can except for Keith Yandel. By all accounts, he's a really good teammate. Guys seem to love him, and he seems like a fun guy to be around. Whether or not that's what the Panthers need in their locker room, we'll know. We'll find out eventually. But the guys seem to love him. He seems to be a 
player's player in, in the sense that jokes around, keeps the mood light, doesn't take himself too seriously. That's a good thing. You need guys like that around. But you can't have guys like that running the show. I don't think Yandel is running the show, but it's it's tough to have accountability when someone in the locker room isn't taking things as seriously as they should. Again, I don't want to speak for what's actually happening in the locker room. I'm not there. But from an outsider's perspective, Keith Yandel seemed to be a bit of a catalyst for what we saw last season in terms of effort and uh, lack of accountability. But this is the 2021 season. It is a new day. The sun is rising on a new season. And uh, Yandel, Yandel had a good game, actually, despite the controversy as to whether or not the team would scratch him or not, ending his Ironman streak. There was a lot of hoopla and and media coverage about it, whether or not some of it was inflated due to the Canadian media being starved for any sort of a story that isn't a Leafs tat- new Leafs player's tattoo or uh, new goalie pad straps for, for Thatcher Demko. So according to the team, Yandel, or according to Yandel, the team never asked him to waive his no movement clause, which he has in his in his uh, contract, meaning that he can't get traded or move anywhere without his approval. And general manager Bill Zito also confirmed that he never asked Yandel to waive his no movement clause. So, from the organization's perspective, and 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 from the horse's mouth, there is less merit to this. I think. The team wanted to make sure that Yandel knew he was on their radar. You know, Quenville's a no-bullshit kind of guy. He's a no-bullshit kind of coach. And there was a lot of bullshit last year. This was Quenville's, in my opinion, Quenville's way of weeding through that, getting through that, and indicating to the players, and maybe Yandel specifically, that this wasn't going to fly. Last year was the transition phase, first year of coaching for Quenville. You know, I, I would say he's putting the hammer down this season and threatening Yandel's Ironman streak, whether he actually did it or not. It could have just been as simple as something that the team leaks to the public just to put those seeds of doubt into Yandel's head. I don't know if this is true. This is all very speculatory, completely on my part and no, no one else. So please take it as you will. It was, it was whatever it was, whatever they chose to do, I think worked so far. Yandel had a pretty solid game. He seemed a bit nervous, actually, in the first period, which is weird for a player like Yandel, who has been in the league for so long and has established himself as a mainstay in the NHL. But he definitely looked nervous, like, like he knew that there were extra eyes on him in this game because he made a couple of mistakes in the first period that, although Yandel does make, he... It, it, they've definitely felt like the kind of mistakes where you're nervous about making one, so you make one. But he settled down throughout the game. His uh, he got a goal in the second period. Actually, he scored to make it the for the Panthers to make it two, made a two nothing lead, and the bench absolutely erupted. So it was very clear how much the guys love him, uh, and we're happy to see that uh, that that goal for him and that little boost for him. So. It was nice to see a happy moment for for the team and and 
you know that can be that, that kind of thing can be a real galvanizing moment for for a locker room, uh, especially if it's a lot of outside stuff with not a lot of actual truth inside. Uh, they can be brothers in arms, so to speak, and and this kind of thing can unify uh, a roster, especially early in the season. Uh, Yandel is is who he is. He's never going to be a stalwart defensively. He's never going to be a Shea Weber. Um, but if he can provide solid offensive contribution along with passable defensive abilities, he's, he's going to have a spot on this roster. As, lo- as long as he's not causing a lot of mistakes in the back end, he's going to have a spot. Defensively, the team looked better. I will say definitely better. Gudis, Radko Gudis, the uh, free agent signing from Washington Capitals, signed a three-year deal with the Panthers in the offseason. Great pickup. He is along the same lines as Patrick Hornquist, a tough, bruising guy, not afraid to play physical, uh, really stable in the back end, which is something that the Panthers have lacked defensively you know, for a long time, a real stable, stay-at-home, defense-first guy all the time. He is one tough dude. He does not shy away from corner, corner battles and fights in front of the net. He's the epitome of grit and strength, and I, I love seeing him back there. I think, you know, the knock on him is that he can take ill-timed penalties or lose a bit of discipline at times, but I think that's the price you pay for having a guy like Gudis on the team. There will be a time where we all curse him taking a penalty at a really inopportune moment of a game. There will be. I promise you, Panthers fans, there will be. But... Overall, I think he is overwhelmingly a greater good for this team. Uh, like I said, there's just not a lot of guys like him and Hornquist in the NHL these days. They seem to be a dying breed, and for the Panthers to be able to add two of them to their roster is is really special, I think, all things considered. So, Gudis is just going to continue to be a fan favorite as the season as the years progress. Ekblad, Strawman, and Uyghur were pretty solid. I think the core, one of the major cores coming back from last season, I think they played a pretty decent game. Although Uyghur had a pretty big mistake on the uh, Chicago goal that was disallowed in the first period. They got really fortunate that they called the goal back on a challenge from the Panthers that was offside. But Patrick Kane scored a goal on a two-on-one that shouldn't have been a two-on-one in the way that it broke down. Ekblad got caught and Uyghur was stuck playing the two-on-one by himself. Instead of playing the pass like you should on a two-on-one as the defenseman, because you should always play the pass, which allows your goaltender to focus on the shot only. So the goaltender doesn't have to be concerned about making a lateral movement from left to right or vice versa. To make a save, they can simply focus on the shot as the defenseman's energy goes towards the other player without the puck. But what Uyghur did was he for some reason, went to the player with the puck. I believe it was the Brinkat. What he didn't seem to notice was that Ekblad was catching up to this player and actually caught up to him before he was able to make the pass. So Uyghur moved over to that, def- moved over. So now we have two Panthers players going after the puck and Kane sits wide open in the slot on a 2-1-1. If Uyghur had played that correctly, Ekblad would have caught up to the Brinkat and there would have been no chance or a much lesser of a chance because Uyghur would have been covering Kane. So, I mean, it's first game of the season. Overall, he looked decent, not his strongest game, but that was a big blunder that caught me 
that was very noticeable to me. And then the goaltender, I mean, Chris Drieger. What, uh, what a story this guy is. Once again, very reliable in the Panthers' net. He absolutely devours rebounds, which is a, a great tool to have with a team that has struggled to clear pucks from the front of the goal. Made a great save on Dylan Strome in the first period to keep the game scoreless. And goaltending is going to be a hot topic for this team throughout the season, especially if Drieger continues to play this way. Bobrovsky's got the big contract, $70 million over seven years. He is, on paper, the number one guy, but Chris Drieger's numbers have been incredible behind the exact same defense that Sergei Bobrovsky plays. And the sample size used to be an excuse, but that sample size is growing game by game. And at some point, it's push has got to come to shove. I, I wonder where Quenville stands on this during the season and how it will go. But overall, as I said before, I loved the effort of the team in game one. Five on five, they were significantly better than previous seasons. I know, I know it's just one game, and it was the Blackhawks, but I can't remember the last time where they pressured the opposition so much throughout the entire game. A lot of times last year, the team sat back and waited, waited for the offense to pull out a miracle to make the game a relevant again you know you'd have a a Hoffman power play goal or a Huberto goal or someone would come in with a a timely goal to make the game seem closer than it actually was but this year so far it looks like the hard work is the main catalyst and is the driving force between the team behind the team effort like that as I said yield results yields results if you pressure the opposition in their own zone they are more prone to making a mistake always always so they can keep this up they're going to they're going to have some success but unfortunately this season is long and it's 56 games this year so it's a little shorter than a typical 82 game season but we're going to have a lot of different things happening from game to game and game 2 also versus the Blackhawks a couple of days after game 1 is a clear indicator of that the team looked a little bit more sluggish in game 2 a lot of the guys looked like they didn't rest that well the night before or just weren't up for it like they were on game one it's tough to pin fatigue on things considering this is only their second game of the season but in that same breath you can make the argument for conditioning training camp was a significantly shorter portion this year usually some guys are in rinks for months leading up to training camp a week this season is not very long so I think conditioning throughout the NHL has been a bit of a concern or a bit of a bit of an issue getting going as you watch games around the NHL teams in the third period and overtime overtime three on three has been a little bit slower this year to start the season I'm brought back to a f- earlier game in the season where Philip Dano actually had probably the slowest breakaway I've seen in a very very long time um, in the opening game of the season between the Habs and the Leafs so yeah it'll take some guys a little bit of time to get adjusted to uh the schedule, especially how uh, how frequent the games are this season, but that'll help in getting you into game shape pretty quickly. Game two was similar to game one for one Carter Verhage. I mean, this guy is all over the place. Scored his first two goals as a Panther, and uh, as I said before, he looks like a star. He was so visible out there. He does not miss a beat playing with a guy like Barkov. 
you know, sometimes it takes the guy a little bit of an adjustment to start playing with new linemates, especially an elite talent like Barkov, who will find you at times where you don't even know you're open, and he does. So he's he's gelling with him very early on. It's been really nice to see. Uh, he would have had a hat trick, honestly. I think he would have had a third goal if he didn't pass the puck on his two-on-one with Anthony Duclair in the second period. Uh, sorry, third period, I believe. He, in my opinion... When a player has two goals in one night and you're on a 2-1-1, that player should shoot every single time. You have the hot hand. Something is going right for you that game. Use it. Utilize it. It doesn't happen every game. I think that's a moment where even Carter himself would go back to the bench and say, I should have shot that puck. But all things considered, he was all over the ice, very visible, very noticeable. If you watched the game, you could not miss number 23. I think... He could be a one of the, if not the best, signing for the team during this offseason. And I can't say enough about him. I can't say enough good things about him. All praises. All praises. Hornquist, again, had another wonderful game. Physical. All over the ice. It's really funny watching him play, actually, with the less people in the building at the BB&T Center. Uh, you can actually hear Patrick Hornquist yelling to guys on the ice that he's open or to see the man or whatever it is. You can actually audibly hear his voice on the ice, which is awesome. I think that kind of communication on the ice. If you've ever played hockey, having a guy out there like that is almost like a general rallying the troops. If he's constantly talking to you, you, you it, it kind of makes you more aware, brings you into the game a bit more. Um it's tough to explain without experiencing it for yourself, but he's adds an element, as I've said so many times already on this podcast, this first episode of Project Panthers, that he just brings these elements of the game that the Panthers have not had for a very long time. He Again, he compliments a guy like Huberto so well because Huberto operates best when he's got a little bit of extra ice, a little bit of space to dangle and ditzy around a little bit, and... Hornquist does that. He draws players to the front of the net. It's like a it's like a nucleus of an atom. He's just drawing the electron defenseman closer to him while Hooper gets to hang out the outside and make earn his living, you know? Um overall though the team, I think special teams special teams is a real issue for the team right now. Uh specifically the p- penalty kill. Gave up another power play gold Kubala had his first of the season and uh, they're struggling early on in the PK. I think the turnover of bodies is a, is a contributing factor to that for sure. I also think the new game plan, the new defensive coach, Ol Samuelson coming in, there's going to be some adjustments. Again, as I said, it's only been a week and change of training camp along with whatever they've been able to accomplish throughout the season. So they're going to be ironing out some kinks for a little while here, but it is a little bit of a cause for concern regarding the team's penalty killing because they don't look that great. And I'm this is no knock on the Blackhawks. They have some incredible shooters and a lot of offensive talent. They they are a bit top heavy that team. So when it comes to isolated areas where skill gets to excel like the power play a team like Chicago will flourish and will succeed, but the the penalty killing was a penalty killing duos and, and 
groups that they put out there were a little bit too dominated for my liking, to be honest. Um, their second period was a bit rough. They they sort of lost their, their, their momentum that they had built in the first period. They got off to a good start with the two goals early uh, in the first, and it looked like they were going to cruise to another win, and the Blackhawks just kept chipping away, and it was defensive breakdown after defensive breakdown from the Panthers in the second period. Uh, it was a lot of what we saw last season. A lot of the team losing its man. A lot of getting caught, not moving your feet. A lot of missed assignments. It was, it was at times they looked discombobulated in the second period. It was like watching the Panthers last season. Um, the effort from the forwards was still there. It was nice to see the forwards not lose their game plan. But defensively, it was much of the same Panthers in the second period. It was it was a bit disheartening to see. But you look at the roster, and it's really, in game two, it was really only Gudis who is swapped in for like last year's Mike Matheson. That's the real only change back there. Stillman played a ton of games last year, and... We saw a top six of this plus Matheson minus Gudis last season's struggle. They So why would it be any different this year? At least a little bit, right? So it'll be interesting to see how Forsling gets back into the lineup, if he does, if Nudivara gets into the lineup. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with the rotating door of defensemen. I think it's good that Quenville's added this level of competition to the team. Guys pushing each other to get better is always a good thing. Uh, but yeah, the second period was a bit a bit tumultuous for them defensively. And then the third period came along and, and Chicago took a lead on a Kurashev goal. At the end of the sh- at the end of his shift uh, from the slot on a one on two play. Not a two on one. I said that correctly, on a one on two play. He shot it from above or just below maybe the the face-off circles. Uh, Bobrovsky went down to make the save and flubbed the puck with his glove, and it went in, giving the Blackhawks a four-three lead. That was that was tough to see. I mean, you know, up to that point, Bobrovsky had played a pretty decent game. As as I mentioned, he the defense had left him out dry more than a few times in the second period. Kane's goal at the end of the period to tie it up was maybe misplayed by... You could make the argument that, that Bobrovsky misplayed it and dropped too low to the ice too soon, uh, leading to a an easy goal for Kane to put top shelf on the backhand. But honestly, it's Patrick Kane. And Stillman lost him on the, uh, on the play, so you can't fault a, a goaltender for being beaten by Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane's one of the best in the world, so... But on this goal, you know, Philip Kurashev shot the puck from a little after six minutes in the third period, shot the puck from close to the top of the circle, 40 feet out at least, and Bobrovsky just misplayed it, and it went in, giving the Blackhawks a 4-3 lead. In a game where, honestly, the Panthers didn't deserve to be in the lead, so I guess that's fair. But they, they weren't playing their best hockey, and they were only in it because the Blackhawks are not the strongest team. So the Panthers were able to hang around and and stay in the game. But that kind of stuff is it's very difficult to see from a guy like Bobrovsky. Um, he's now entering his second season 
with the Panthers, signed that big contract, as we all know, and he can't be allowing goals like that. It's There was too much of that last season. There was too many moments where the team was in a close game or was trying to play catch-up or was in the lead, and Bobrovsky would give up a very weak goal, a goal that most NHL goaltenders will stop on any day, and a, and a goaltender making $10 million a year definitely should stop. It, 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 as a player, I can tell from tell you from personal experience, it can break you. It can really break you to put effort forward and try and win a game and have a goaltender make a a bad mistake like that and and cost you the game or or you know make your uphill battle even more difficult. I can't speak for how the guys feel about Bobrovsky in in the locker room, but. You know, it hasn't been one or two of these goals. It's been a large number of them. Enough to justify bringing it up and talking about it to this extent. Bob needs to turn it around this season. There is no question. No question about that. If he doesn't, this team is going to have a lot of issues with that contract. I don't know how they will ever move it. Buying out is absolutely not an option considering the cap hit and the penalty that you will pay. So... You kind of have to ride him, and I get Quenville's theory of or thought process of of riding the goalie until he gets better. But we did that a lot last season, and that didn't that didn't result in positive success. It didn't result in success. It didn't yield the results we wanted. So I wonder how short his leash will be with the Drieger and Brovsky situation. Uh, once again, I said. In game one, Drieger played phenomenal. Made some really key saves at really opportune times. And although Bob was tested significantly more, I I don't think I can count on even one hand the amount of bad goals that Drieger gave up last season. He's just very solid. And I think with the makeup of this team and the way that they're built, a guy like Drieger's style fits the... F- the roster better as he he it just devours rebounds swallows them up they are almost non-existent with him it is almost always a one and done with Chris Drieger on the ice and that is huge for a team like the Panthers who struggle to as a group struggle to clear the front of the net if there is a puck bouncing in the front of the net they seem to lose focus and can't seem to clear the puck either it's because they're not physical enough or they just get discombobulated as they're crashing to the net to protect the goaltender and Bobrovsky gives up a lot of rebounds which does not blend with the style very well Trigger does not Trigger is one and done he allows for the team to reset after his save which is very valuable for a team like the Panthers who can get lost and and mixed up really easily, it seems, just from watching them. I don't, I don't know where this is going to lead. I don't know what Quenville's going to do. I will not say that Bob had a bad game because he didn't. I mean, he stopped Patrick Kane on a penalty shot. That was huge. But it's those kind of great saves and great moments are negated at times when he gives up bad goals like he did to Kurashev. 
I think he was going to continue to ride Bob. $10 million is a lot of money. And Bob is a consummate professional. He doesn't want to play like this. He doesn't want to give those goals up. He wants to be successful and he wants to be the best. Bob Bob is like that. So this is going to be the story for the season, I think. This goaltending. I don't see this going away anytime soon. Trigger does not seem to be a, a one-off or a one-season apparition. He seems to be somewhat of the real deal. And honestly, a goaltending controversy where both guys are playing well, there's worse things to have in the NHL. Am I right? But it'll be interesting to see how how this all plays out. Other guys in this game, I thought Brett Connolly, I didn't mention him in the first game because he wasn't very noticeable, but I thought he had a much better game this this time around. He a little more noticeable. His effort is there. I mean, you know, Quenville's going to play on the fourth line right now with, uh, I guess, a rotating group. He played with Ryan Lomberg in game one and, and uh, Hinnestroza, Vinny Hinnestroza, got in his first game with the, as, with the Panthers in game two. His effort is there. Connolly's a nice piece to have on your back, on your bottom six because he's uh, he's got some offensive ability. He's missed a couple of glorious chances to start the season, but when those start going in, they usually start going in for bunches, in, in bunches for a guy like Connolly. So I'm not too worried about what he'll what he'll put up this season. His numbers might be a bit decreased with the ice time lowered, but he's he's still a weapon to have on the power play and. If last season was any indication, he scores some really nice clutch goals. So I am looking forward to that this season with Brett Connolly. Um, he is what he is. You know, he's not a huge salary guy. He doesn't make a ton of money. He's never been billed as a top six forward. He is a bottom six offensive, mainly mainly offensive guy. And that's all we really want from him. So... Don't expect this guy to make incredible defensive plays. He does, he's not the fastest skater, but I think he's, I think he's a smart player, and I think he, he knows himself on the ice. He knows his strengths. Uh, speaking of his line mates, Achari had another really tough game in the faceoff circle. He's only winning thirty three percent of his faceoffs this season, and again, it's only two games in. But last year he was at a forty seven point nine percent tip for the entire season, so. That's got to increase. That's got to improve, especially because Achari is, or historically for this, or last year at least, was uh, one of the big face-off guys for the team. Was taking, He took a lot of key draws and a lot of key moments for the team last season. And if he's not winning face-offs this year, that's one less tool that the team has in their toolbox. His effort is there. He's gritty. He's playing hard still. But those little points of the game, I hope, just need to be ironed out as the season progresses. I think Wenberg, again, solid game. He struggles. He seems to struggle a bit offensively, especially playing with a guy like Huberto. A guy like Huberto has so much top-end talent. Uh, I think Wenberg's game is so defensive-minded that he he can be a bit overwhelmed playing with a guy like Huberto. I think that will come with time, though. Wenberg is a very talented player in all facets of the game, and I think the offensive game has just left him, has just sort of lost fallen at the wayside for him as he's focused more defensively to stay relevant in the NHL. A guy like Uberdo could ignite that fire in Wemberg again and get him going back to the, you know, 59-point season. I I don't know if he could ever reach what he did in 2016-17 with the Jackets, 59 points in, uh, I believe, 80 games. But 
even if he can become a 40, 45-point guy on the second line on a regular 82-game season, I think is is solid. And realistically, he's a stopgap for this team until Anton Lindell can make the move over the NHL. And if he stay, hangs out with the Panthers, he could be a perfect transitional guy for Lundell to come in and be the, the quote-unquote third-line center until Wenberg is willing to pass it on to Lundell and Wenberg drops to the third line and Lundell moves to the second line. Again, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Well, those chances are there. The third line had a bit of a struggle this game. They got a bit exposed. There are a lot of a lot of energy on that line, but uh, Louis Starnin and uh, Tippett were both minus twos on the night, so not their best effort. But defensively, Yandel, Keith Yandel was pretty solid again. You know, the hot topic that everyone is discussing. No real complaints from him, about him. If he continues to play this way throughout the season, that his his job in the top six is is his. He will not lose it. I think he's he's going to be. If he continues to perform this way, he will he will be a a a solid member of the top six throughout the season. But one concern I had uh, from this game was Riley Stillman. Uh, Riley played a lot of key minutes for the Panthers last season. He came in about halfway through the season and really established himself as a reliable reliable go-to guy back there. Uh, he really struggled in uh, in game one of his season, game two for the Panthers. Got beat a couple of times. Uh, Bobrovsky bailed him out more than a few times and just didn't seem to have the footing, didn't seem to have the movement that we are used to seeing from Riley Stillman. Again, very early in the season. We'll see where he where he goes with this. He's been sent back down to the taxi squad, which I get from Quenville's standpoint. There's a log jam uh, defensively right now between all the guys, and Stillman, as of right now, might be the odd man out, which is unfortunate to say after last season and the potential that he showed. But it's... It'll be interesting to track his growth over the next uh, six months, five months, let's say. Uh, the rest of them, I mean, Uyghur played a pretty solid game. A little better than game one, and, and Ekblad was more than solid. I love to see him more involved with the game offensively. I, I'm i interested, interested to see how the success for the power play goes with the new setup. They seem to be... They've moved Ekblad to the other side where Hoffman on the opposite side where Hoffman was played last year they're trying to tee him up with one timers like they did Hoffman but unfortunately Ekblad doesn't have the same shot that Hoffman had he's just not going to have as much success as Hoffman did I would like to see more movement and more play in front of the net from the team if their play is to get Ekblad a pass or a shot from Yandel from uh, far outside the net closer to the blue line I mean, maybe that's a solid strategy considering Hornquist is going to be in front of the net now and he did score both of his goals from about four feet out in this game. So if that's the plan, it could work. I mean, what do I know, right? <laughs> but honestly, they 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 need to develop new looks for the power play because if they go into the, the power play this year with that one to two strategies like they did last year, it won't have the same success rate just because you don't have that weapon like Mike Hoffman back there. Mike Hoffman is a very special player with a very special shot. So 
replacing that is tough. Ekblad has big shoes to fill in that sense. Uh, we'll see how the season plays out, but I don't. I think a going into the the uh, power plays with a limited strategy is a mistake on the team's part. So we'll see how this evolves as the season progresses. But overall, I mean, Frankie V, Frank Vetrano getting the uh, the game winner in overtime on a nice little passing play from Barkov. It's great to see. You want to get a guy like that going earlier in the season because if he's if he struggles out of the gate, you can you can collapse in on yourself as a player and start overthinking and hitting goalposts or missing the net or whatnot. So a goal like that for Frankie to score in overtime to win the game and you know put his team ahead and 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 put them at two and zero for the season. It's a great feeling for a guy like like Frank for Toronto, right? Like it's just it's important because you want to get everyone going at the same time. You want to get everyone on the same page, and you want everyone to feel confident in their abilities. And I I am really happy with Frankie V's efforts in the first two games, and and this was him getting rewarded for that. He's he's a great little guy to have on your team, feisty feisty and fun to watch so I think overall the team had a you know uh, the scores as the scores indicate you know winning 5-2 in in the opening game and winning 5-4 in overtime in the second game they struggled a bit more in the second game whether or not that was a combination of fatigue and energy and distraction and whatnot combined with the Blackhawks really hungry for a victory because at that point they were 0-3 having lost to Tampa twice and the Panthers sometimes teams just bring it more and but it was what it was really nice to see was to see the Panthers continue their effort and actually squeeze out the win a lot of times this team would fold it on itself and give up or just feel like the world is ending because they can't make a stop defensively and the forwards for what it's worth they they stuck to the game plan and they continued to pressure the team throughout the entire the Blackhawks throughout the entire game and I think that momentum helped maintain uh, the foot on the gas pedal for the Panthers throughout the uh, throughout the entire game and, that, and, and propelled them to the eventual victory in overtime the big story for me right now though is Drieger and Bobrovsky the defenseman is another story because there's a lot of guys back there who are all going to be vying for minutes but the goaltending is the big story right now. The Panthers have had both of their games canceled, so they didn't get to play Thursday against Carolina, and they're not going to be able to play Saturday against the Hurricanes either. So their next game will be Tuesday against the Blue Jackets. That's week apart for their second and third games. By the time the Panthers hit the ice, actually, the Maple Leafs will have played seven games. So the Panthers will be hitting the ice for their third game, and the Leafs will already be play, will have played their seventh game. That's one-eighth of their season done before the Panthers have played three. so I, But they're not Dallas, like I said, so could be worse. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the league handles all this COVID stuff, though. If the games keep getting canceled or post, sorry, postponed, they're going to have to push the playoffs back or or squeeze games in, in between in the schedule to, to get these games in because you risk you risk the schedule getting very heavy for teams that have been affected and light or lighter for teams that haven't. And is that fair? Can we even bring up the topic of fairness during a pandemic? 
when everyone's just trying to do what they can. I think I think you have to, right? It's it's professional sports and it's meant to be played on what is supposed to be the most even possible playing field given the circumstances. So it'll be really interesting to see what the NHL does with this and how they handle it. Game three up on Tuesday against the Blue Jackets. Uh, I am Brunswick, and thank you for joining me for Project Panthers. This was our first episode. I really appreciate you hanging out for the entire one. I'm going to have plenty more ahead as the season progresses. I'll be doing this on a weekly basis. So tune in on YouTube and SoundCloud, and I'm hoping to get things onto Spotify and other other podcast uh, applications in the future. But for now, it will just have to be uh, on YouTube at Project Panthers and on SoundCloud at Project Panthers. And you can find me at on Twitter at Proj Panthers. That's P-R-O-J Panthers. And on Instagram at Project Panthers Pod. That's Project Panthers Pod on Instagram. Feel free to shoot me a message. Send me a note. If you want to open up some discussion and talk Panthers hockey, I am here uh, longtime fan I love this team to death and I will continue to love them for as long as they exist I am Brunswick thank you for joining me on the first edition of Project Panthers have a week have a week